Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the must not take yourself too seriously and six one since that matters. And what do I even say other than hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Okay, Cricket, can I make a confession here? This sure. is just between you and me. Okay. Um, I thought I knew what this show was about. I feel like I had a pretty good concept. <laughs> And then I started doing research for this episode, and I don't think I got it at all when I first saw it. <laughs> I'm going to agree with you totally and completely there. Really? Because I, like, I went back and listened to it again because it's been six years since I worked on it or seven sure. years. It's been quite a while. And started like reading about and I was like, oh, I think I missed a lot of that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, so, I'm so glad. Okay, we're meeting each other. Exactly where we are, and uh, yeah. and and that's great. Welcome, everybody, to a musical theater podcast where we discuss the cultural and emotional impact of some of our favorite musicals in theater history. My name is Jeffrey Scott Parsons. You can call me Jeff. Today, we are officially getting ready for the Tony Awards, which are only a few short weeks away. And I don't know about you all, but this was always a, a very exciting time for me growing up. I Probably at this point, I would have already turned many a church meeting program into my personal Tony ballot. You know, the little handouts that you get at the, at the beginning of church. Um, but here on the podcast, we're beginning celebrations by talking about the element that really has become my make or break detail as to whether or not I enjoy being an audience member. And of course, I'm talking about sound design. What? Yes, I'm serious. Sound is easily the thing I appreciate most these days. And the Tony Awards agree with me. Sometimes. They, they only began recognizing sound design on Broadway in 2008. Then they took it away. Now they brought it back again. And in the middle of all of that, 2011 in fact, they nominated the first woman for best sound design of a play. And she's here right now. Everyone, please welcome the incredibly talented Tony-nominated sound designer, Cricket Myers. Yay! <laughs> Cricket. I'm excited to be here. I'm so grateful you're here. Um, now, can you explain your job? <laughs> sure. Um, I mean, the, the simplest way of describing it is I'm in charge of everything an audience hears when they walk into the theater. So uh, when it comes to musicals, uh, I focus on the balance between the vocals and the band and the different instruments and how those different instruments morph and change and sound over the course of a show mm. and how the vocals sit in that you know, with the plays, it's more about, you know, sound effects or music or transitions. Mm. But in musicals, you know, the the band, the orchestra provides the the emotion and the drive and the energy. And so my job is to make that sing. You're so you're so right. Like it is the I mean, I've done many a production of West Side Story. And sometimes the only thing that keeps you going in the choreography is the orchestra because it's so electric that like you yeah. can't help but do it full out. Yep. Um, what do you look for as an audience member when there's good sound design? Because I also feel like it's kind of a thing that if it's good, you don't notice it. Yes. I think if it's really good, you don't notice it. Mm -hmm. um, so for me, it's am I am I understanding the words? Am I hearing the lyrics? Am I following the story? Mm -hmm. uh, 
but also is the band supporting that? Are mm. they, you know, are they swelling? Are they loud? Are they energetic? Do they feel like they fill the room? Is there a warmth to the music? Is there a dynamic to the music? All while keeping the lyrics and the the story in the forefront and present. Right. So. Well, when we were discussing what musical we could cover together, um, the title that kept popping up for me was The Who's Tommy. I mean, nothing yes. like a rock musical to showcase the importance of sound designers because you, yeah. you want to create this visceral experience, but you still got to understand. I think I talked about this in our Passing Strange episode. You still got to hear the lyrics. You got to understand what's going on. Absolutely. I remember, uh, I'm not going to say the theater, but I saw a production of... Tommy. And the first night I went, let's preface it that way, the first night that I went, something happened with sound. And and honestly, the stage manager probably should have called it five minutes in. But the the band sounded great, but every single mic was completely dead. Uh, except for this one like second alto in the ensemble. Oh no. <laughs> and so like you couldn't hear anybody, and then all of a sudden it got to Christmas morning and you hear like ah 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 <laughs> just, just this Oops. one girl with her harmony ah <laughs> um it was ab- absolutely hilarious so um I really wanted to see the show cuz the visuals were great and I knew that the cast was talented so at intermission I was like can I maybe come back another night and of course they were lovely and said absolutely we're so sorry we don't know what's happening but right then and there case in point of uh, how important sound is for this musical. Uh-huh. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> now, talk to me about your relationship with the show. You did it, you said, like six years ago. Yeah, I designed it at East West Players. Um, oh, God, I should have looked up the year. I think it was six or seven years ago. Oh, wow. Uh, wow, wow it wow. was my first show with East West Players. And, um, a, a wonderful theater company here yeah. in Los Angeles. Yeah. And... Uh, you know, it was it was the first time I had heard the show. I had known other people who worked on it. I know there was a production in Hollywood, I think. Yeah, that was the one with that. the earphones. Yeah, where everyone wore headphones. Yeah, um, so like it was being mixed into, instead of live, it was being mixed into these headphones that everyone was wearing. Yeah, and they wanted they wanted to heighten that feeling of isolation um, oh, that, sure. that Tommy feels. And so when you're wearing headphones, you're not aware of the rest of the room around you. And so it becomes a very isolating experience, whereas theater tends to be more collaborative you're all experiencing the same thing together um and so the headphones really heighten that and it's interesting because i i heard really mixed things like some people are like i love the isolation and other people are like i wanted it was hard to not feel the other people around me and not to experience what you know feel like i'm not experiencing what they're experiencing yeah so yeah kind of like why go to the theater if i'm gonna feel like i'm by myself yeah yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Huh. But at the same <laughs> time, for the character of Tommy, who is kind of isolated from the world in his own head, it's an interesting... That, no, it's a it's yeah. a really cool, like, jumping point, for um, sure. Well, we didn't do that. <laughs> we went, <laughs> to be clear. <laughs> we went, we went did, you know, did it the normal way, so... Um, Your Mrs. Walker was Dee Dee, Dee Dee Magno Hall, yeah. who I'm obsessed with, my yes, gosh. Dee Dee's the, amazing. The we voice had a really phenomenal cast that's um, awesome how fun yeah and what and did you know the show did you know of the show I guess before then I knew of the show but I hadn't designed it and I um I you know I knew pinball wizard I knew some of the big songs from it but I didn't right. know I didn't know the whole story I didn't know the whole musical so yeah um and I also didn't realize that it's it's technically an opera because it's sung all the way through, right. um, which I didn't realize until I, I started working on it. So. Yeah, 100% rock yeah. opera. Yeah. Um, I am of the ilk where uh, I discovered The Who because Tommy was on Broadway. <laughs> you know, like I am yeah. I'm that kid. Yep. And I know that a lot of people have parents who are like, you know, my dad would listen to The Who on mm-hmm. weekends. Like that was not us. <laughs> We were listening to, like, Dad maybe put on Chicago's Greatest Hits. Yeah. Barbra Streisand's Higher Ground. Lots of Motown sure. in my okay, town. Motown. <laughs> right, yeah, absolutely. So I did not know The Who. I'm, yeah. like, I can't pretend that I even knew who Pete Townshend or, or Roger Daltrey were. 
So I discovered this music through the original cast album from 1993. But let's do a little a little dive into what created this. So The Who, mm-hmm. yeah? One of the most influential bands of the 20th century. Absolutely. And kind of interesting, they really made their mark by playing with sound. Go figure. Like, they're kind of responsible for feedback in concerts being... A cool, a cool <laughs> element of, of sound design. Yeah, part yeah. of the show. Exactly. Smashing the guitar was like one of the biggest rock and roll moments of all time. Thanks to the Who, uh, one of their first big songs, "My Generation." Talking about, and then they come out with three albums. People are starting to think that maybe they lost their gas. That they yeah. that their best creativity is behind them. And then Pete Townshend decides to start doing things differently for album number four. In particular, he started playing the piano because he's you know mainly a guitar player. So he started fiddling on the piano, taking the craft more seriously. And second, he became a devout follower of this spiritual leader named Meher Baba. Mm-hmm. So these two things, number one, uh, taking the songwriting more seriously led him to want to create the first real rock opera. And then the teachings of Baba led him to want to write something dedicated to him. And I, this is what I didn't realize. How much of the meaning of Tommy is directly tied to spiritual gurus? Yeah, like, I didn't realize that either. Why we need yeah. them, how they become that way, what we expect of them, how it affects them even. And so Tommy was really created as almost like a a love letter to this spiritual advisor who also inspired many, many other people. Uh, Baba was also the inspiration behind Don't Worry, Be Happy, the Bobby McFerrin song. Mm -hmm. Uh, Bobby McFerrin was also a a follower of him. So who knew? I didn't. (laughs) Yeah. The album comes out in 1968, acclaimed, of course. Mm-hmm. But Tommy was always meant to be a performance piece, and they performed it a lot. Different companies would kind of stage it themselves. But it really wasn't until the early 90s that, that Mr. Townshend finally, officially, started looking for a way to dramatize it as a work of theater. Yeah. And he meets this dude by the name of Des McEnough who at this point, I mean, well-known dude, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, he had won a Tony Award for Big River in, in the 80s. He was artistic director at the beautiful La Jolla Playhouse, which is an incredible uh, theater company on the West Coast. Yeah. And uh, they meet and hit it off and decide to bring it to the stage. It literally only takes them a year and a half from meeting to opening on Broadway, which, I mean, you know. Is insane. <laughs> yeah. I mean, unprecedented, right? Yeah. Yeah. Especially a show this complicated. Yeah. It's yeah. really incredible. Now, it's interesting to, to see kind of that evolution that the album comes out in 68, but doesn't come to Broadway until the 90s. And my hot take, and I kind of want to hear your, your thoughts, I almost feel like it wasn't possible before then yeah. because of the technology. Oh, yeah. Like technology allowed musical theater to finally embrace rock and roll because, you know, we had hair. We had some of those Galt McDermott musicals in the in the seven, you know, late mm-hmm. 60s or 70s. But musical theater consciously makes this decision to not follow mainstream music anymore. Mm-hmm. And I almost feel like it's because you can't act like a human while holding a microphone. Yeah. And I think the the, you know, the ability to make bands loud, you know, while someone is singing and dancing and moving around just didn't exist. You know, you yeah. the orchestra if you look at the orchestrations of the shows that were written before wireless technology, you know, they're orchestrated to to dip the orchestra around the voices, but rock and roll isn't built that way. Rock Mm. and roll is meant to be amplified. It's meant to be loud. It's meant to be in your face and it's not orchestrated to, to dip around voice, but to make voice part of the music. Yeah. And, and we think of rock stars like Mick Jagger Mm -hmm. or, um, Oh gosh, who's the dude from, 
who who always does his like huge bot mods, David Lee Roth. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, they move that way in many instances because they have this prop, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. They're moving that way back and forth across the stage with this microphone. And all of a sudden, to be able to have a, a body mic that where where now you can get close to somebody, you can use your hands, you're, you're crouching down. Uh, yeah. it, it's a whole new level of humanity in terms of expression. And you're not tied. You don't have a cable that you're going to trip over or pull around the stage or, Hallelujah. you know, yes. um, that you're free to kind of move as you want to move. Um, uh, and yeah. And create scenes and visuals. So. Do you know when wireless was first introduced? Like when, when, because I, I think if I remember correctly, the act, which was a famous flop with Liza Minnelli, was one of the first big advances in terms of, of sound, like uh, wireless microphones. Or maybe not wireless microphones, but just amplification in general. It says, first one was in 1950s but that they oh. didn't become present until the 80s. Yeah. That's when theater production started using them. Wow. Totally. Yeah. I no, like, I no. Know. Thank you. <laughs> thank you, Google. <laughs> sure, sure. Right, right, right. Yeah. So by the time we get to the 90s, I, 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 like I said, I just think the technology paved the way to, yeah. to try something like this. Yeah. And Tommy opens... Was it 1992, 1993, somewhere around there in that season? And it opens the same year as Kiss of the Spider Woman. And really interesting Tony year. It's the, I think it's the only time where a musical has tied for best score. You know, yeah. we, we, there is the, the time in the Tony Awards when uh, Fiorello and The Sound of Music tied for best musical. Uh-huh. But in terms of best score, both Kiss of the Spider Woman and Tommy win the award. Really fascinating. Spider-Woman wins Best Musical Overall. Des McEnough wins Director, as he should have, with Tommy. Because, I mean, it's just such a complex show using a a huge ensemble of people uh, that just doesn't stop. And it's a hit. Yeah, it runs for for a good couple of years. I think almost 900 performances. Mm -hmm. A really great run. Still, though, I, I don't think it was praised unanimously it had some mixed reviews and at least from what i was able to find the mixed reviews weren't from stuffy theater people being like we don't have rock musicals on this stage (laughs) (laughs) it was from rock enthusiasts being like how dare you turn my precious you know uh, yeah Yeah. rock album adolescence into a broadway musical right (laughs) But, I mean, it is a different sensibility. So what do you think the differences are? Um, you know, I think uh, in a musical, it's the story is most present and the, the vocals are most present. And I think when you're listening to a rock album, the music is what's most present for you and the story becomes secondary, especially because, you know, Tommy was one of those first albums that that is an album that is also a story that is meant mm-hmm. to be played straight through similar to Pink Floyd did it, you know, but mm-hmm. it wasn't commonplace. It wasn't all albums are a through story. So Narrative. you listen to yeah. the music, um, the lyrics are almost secondary to that, you know, whereas in a musical, the the story is most present and you're looking at the, the piece as a whole and then, um, which I think is very different than someone who goes to a rock concert. You're not looking for an overall theme in a rock concert. Sure. So. Or you're looking for an emotional experience. I'm so glad you brought this yeah. up because you had the album, then the album gets turned into a movie, uh-huh. yeah, which yeah. I watched last night for the first time. Can't wait to talk I about that. I haven't seen it. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. Trippy. Trippy balls. So great. And then, it, and then it gets turned into a musical. And each time it gets revised. Mm-hmm. Um, because of this, because yeah. there are specifics that just don't matter when you're creating rock and roll, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, but all of a sudden you, you look at it more literally and you're like, well, that doesn't make sense. <laughs> or yep. it isn't enough now just to create a feeling. We also have to create some sort of intellectual through line that's, that's, that makes sense. That's logical. Yeah. Uh, on top of all of the esoteric stuff that's buried under there. Yeah. But there are interesting changes 
each step along the way. We'll talk about some of those changes as we go through the show, but for the most part, we'll be talking about the stage musical today when we go through it. And we're going to do that uh, right after this break. Hey, listeners, have you tried Factor yet? Remember Factor Meals? They were supposed to send me a box to try out, but they don't ship to Hawaii, so now I'm stuck with my Taco Bell. And now it's up to you. It's up to you to try it and let me know how it is, because it's May. And we can't eat like it's the holidays anymore. We're trying to get our summer bodies together. And Factor's fresh, never-frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great-tasting food. You can choose from six menu preferences to help you manage calories, maximize protein intake, avoid meat, whatever you want, it's here. Head to factormeals.com slash musicaltheater50, that's musicaltheater with an E-R, and use code musicaltheater50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code musicaltheater50 at factormeals.com slash musicaltheater50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Okay, we're back, and we're going to go through the show. You ready, Cricket? I'm ready. Okay, so the show starts with the overture, and the overture, I mean, a lot happens. It's a lot yeah? of storytelling. We honestly overture. have about 14 minutes before anybody sings anything. Uh-huh. And so we meet these two uh, newlyweds by the name of uh, Mrs., well, we'll just call them Mrs. Walker and Captain Walker, mm-hmm. and they are in England, this is right before World War, two. Oh, which, is it two? Okay, because originally it was, this it is was one, one of the, yeah, this, yeah. Is orig- this is one of the changes. So right before World War II, you know, they have the hope of every 20-year-old getting married. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be awesome. Yep. And then, you know, the world gets thrown into war and he has to go away. Now the story kind of takes this Martin Gare type twist where she thinks that he has died. And she's mourning that, especially because she has this, you know, son from this marriage uh, by the name of Tommy. While she's trying to get her life back together, she falls. I don't want to say she falls in love, but she takes a lover. Yeah, she has a new mm-hmm. beau yep. and uh, is, is kind of trying to work through the trauma of losing her husband. Plot twist. The husband actually comes back. Yes. And so Captain Walker comes back. He sees her with this new lover, loses it. An altercation ensues between him and the lover, mm-hmm. and he kills the lover. Yes. Another change. In the Broadway musical, Captain Walker kills the lover. In the other two, the lover kills Captain Walker. Oh, really? Yeah. And huh. to- Tommy grows up with this, like, stepdad type situation. Huh. Okay. Right? They were going a little more nuclear here. Yeah. So (laughs) the big inciting incident about this is not just that Captain Walker kills the lover. It's that Tommy sees it all. Sees it all. Yeah. And And he sees it through a mirror. Yeah, exactly. Like if, if we can paint the picture, he's walking down the hallway, right? Sees the mirror. And in the reflection of the mirror is his dad killing this dude. Mm -hmm. The parents freak out. Because they can't, you know, she she keeps saying, what about the boy? He's seen it all. He saw it all. And they go up to him. And, oh, this is like one of my favorite parts of the show. It just gives me chills. And they just keep singing over and over in this like really beautiful harmony. You didn't see it. You didn't hear it. This doesn't exist. Yeah. And that throws him into an almost like... Uh, kind of adjacent to an autistic state. Absolutely. Where he is completely non-responsive. He can't see, he can't hear, he can't speak. Whew, that all happens. (laughs) 
In the in, overture. In the overture. Yeah. <laughs> and most of it happens as a visual. There's very little singing throughout that right. whole chunk. There's you hear the ministers, they get married, you hear uh, Mrs. Walker and the lover having a moment of like, this is gonna be a brand new year. I'm celebrating mm-hmm. the year. Um, and then you you have the big moment where what about the boy? Um, yeah. where the two of them are are silencing him. But the rest of it's just told through the instrumentation, through the music. And I think this is such a like a, a powerful theme to build this piece on is this idea of trauma, right? Mm-hmm. Because and and I got this actually from watching the the film version, where you realize this couple has experienced their own trauma. Yeah. With the World War, mm-hmm. I mean, the world around them is completely crumbling. You know, and they haven't even had the chance, like, ne'er the opportunity to figure that all out for themselves, let alone help a child through his own trauma. So they just shut it down. Yep. And it actually made me feel a little more empathic to these parents because I'm like, oh, I I can't be mad at them. They haven't even processed their own stuff, you know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Have they even had the chance to? At the same time, though, It, the irony of like, what about the child, this poor child? And then like you do the the worst possible thing. <laughs> yeah, you drive the child into himself, you know. Yeah, cut him into off this the like the world. <laughs> self-induced coma, essentially. Yep. Yep. This state brings out everybody's insecurities. The things that the walkers are worried about because Tommy is, is in this state are interesting, to say mm-hmm. the least, right? Mm-hmm. It's Christmas morning it's Christmas. Yeah. and he doesn't know who Jesus is and yeah. he doesn't know about praying. And so like that's the problem. The problem is, isn't, you know, his his overall health. It's like, what will everyone say if he's not baptized? You know, yeah. that kind of that sort of thing. Yeah. How will he be saved in the afterlife, let alone what's happening to him now? Right, right. Yeah. It's it's really interesting where all of their concerns lie. What are your takes on the parents? I mean, I think they, you know, the the fight itself was a moment of passion and mm. irrationality. I don't think they meant he didn't walk in intending to commit murder. I don't think that was sure. ever the thing. At, and at least the way we staged it, the, the mother was trying to protect the child and keep him away from the violence. Um, and it was oh. only through the mirror that he accidentally saw it. Oh, interesting. I love yeah. that. I love that. So, so like she's she, holding she, him. Yeah, she turns him away and says, don't watch. But she turns him towards the mirror. And so he sees it in the mirror. Oh, um, and that's so, fascinating. You know, I think they they wanted to protect him. But then when this horrible thing happened, they became more interested in protecting themselves. And mm. so they, you know, it's like you can't tell anyone. You didn't see anything. You didn't hear anything. And for a child that age you shifted something in his brain and you changed mm-hmm. it. And I think then the rest of it becomes their struggle of like understanding that they, they did this to him in some way by, by exposing him to this trauma. They love him. They want to make it better. They want to fix it. They want him to have a normal life, but I think they have their own trauma. They have their own experiences and they don't know how to fix it. You know? Yeah. But, the whole montage of going through all the different doctors and all the different tests and all the different things, you know, they're trying to understand what happened. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't think they're inherently evil people. I think it was no. a, a moment of passion and a moment of self-preservation that ended up changing everything. And then you see them struggling on how to deal with that. They want what's best for their child and they want him to have a normal life, but they, they don't know how to do it. And that's such a, a a window into this time period, too. We're coming out of the 50s, right? Yeah. And in, in terms of when The Who are, is writing this whole thing. Yeah. So the 50s, you know, with the mom wearing pearls and vacuuming, like, you know, all of those stereotypes that we that we have. And when you said they just want him to have a normal life. Is there anything more triggering for a parent, especially coming out of that, you know, that time period where the most important thing was to look like everybody else, to yeah. have all of the same things yes. and to to kind of be a, a, a 
not a conformist, but just a member of society in the way that everyone, in quotes, has agreed that looks. Absolutely. Uh, So I I can't help but feel like the the fact that these rock and roll dudes are kind of attacking that and chipping away at that belief is uh, not an accident. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) So in the stage version... We mm-hmm. have this little boy, right? And yeah. he keeps on staring in the mirror. And then at some point, what, who ends up looking back at him from the mirror is his older self. Yes. And we see kind of the older Tommy mm-hmm. stuck in the mirror, yep. commenting on it. Originally played by Michael Cerverus, which isn't that hilarious? I mean, that that's so crazy to me in terms of our modern musical theater history. We we look at Michael Service as uh, one of the great actors, and he was also just kind of like a kick-ass rock singer for the beginning of his career. Like, how cool is that? Right. Anyway, so we meet older Tommy before older Tommy ever escapes from the mirror, shall yeah. we say? Yeah. And like you said... The parents go through lots of of medical tests. Nothing's helping. And so I think they get, and correct me if I'm wrong, I think they get kind of exhausted and don't want to deal with it anymore. Instead, they enlist the worst group of babysitters you've ever seen in your entire (laughs) life. First up, oh, and I should have said this before. Everybody, disclaimer, the show includes child molestation so if you find that triggering in any way just be warned so first up we got uncle ernie Ernie. uncle ernie is what we like to call a pedo and he sees this opportunity this babysitting opportunity as a great way for him to molest tommy i mean this is this is really disgusting stuff and the way that they are able to write it in rock music is Pretty incredible because it's like this kid's not going to tell on me. He can't even see it. He honestly can't even feel it. So you know what? I'm in the clear. Right. Disgusting. Yeah. He's not the only one, though. We've also got cousin Kevin, who's Uh just sadistic psychopath. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I mean, what are some of the things that that cousin Kevin wants to or or does to Tommy? Um, Burn him with cigarettes. Yes. Um, turn on the bath and duck your head under it. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Like like a, a Clockwork Orange style or yeah. something. Um, yeah. Stuffs him in a trash can. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Just yeah. terrible once again. And it, picture this happening to you and you can't see anything. Yeah. I can't imagine being abused that way and like not being able to really take in anything from a sensory point of view. Yeah. The one thing that cousin Kevin, I guess, does right, question mark, is takes him to like a little hangout center mm-hmm. and there's pinball there. Yeah. And Tommy, for some reason, starts playing pinball brilliantly. Mm-hmm. And nobody mm-hmm. can understand why. Uh, that's when... Older Tommy starts singing, I'm a sensation. Yeah. So what do you think is the pinball thing? Where does that come from? You know, I don't know why pinball, but it's a game that the child can escape into. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. That is, you know, it's it's a game that's played alone. It's yeah. not a community game. And it's a tactile experience, I think, and to some extent. Um, and so it it becomes something that, you know, Tommy is drawn to. And whether he, how much he can see and hear and simply isn't processing the information, this is a game that for some reason opens him up, you know. I think we all have that as kids on some level, don't you think? I mean, yeah. I think that's what musical theater was for me. I always say it's it was the filter through which I began to understand and relate to the world. Yes. You know? Yeah. There, there's something that we latch on to that becomes our buffer for understanding the world around us. And for whatever reason... Pinball is that for him. Yeah. He obviously doesn't realize that. But before he really becomes this uh, celebrity because Mm -hmm. of pinball, his dad uh, meets the psychiatrist. Mm -hmm. And the psychiatrist recommends that he take him to a prostitute. 
question mark. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think I think the acid queen is is a prostitute, a drug dealer, a drug user, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's you know at that time drugs are a way of opening up the mind. You oh, know? sure. Like, so like there's experimentation so think, there. Yeah, and so I think it's like you know drugs and sex will open up this child's mind will will awaken him in a way you know and yeah um i think the acid queen says he might he might still be young but he's not a child <laughs> you know like i'll i'll turn him into something else you know interesting um, you know yeah yeah totally so but ultimately the dad runs away from that yeah the i mean yeah. good job captain walker <laughs> you, you made go. you made one came good to decision. your senses <laughs> right uncle ernie no red flags acid queen however well red flags and they chose to leave him there anyway i mean they yeah. have a whole song saying should we leave him with uncle That's ernie true. so obviously they knew there were qu- was it was qu- oh my gosh you're right <laughs> but chose and to they're leave like yeah anyway. it's it's great everything's yeah. fine do you know in on in the movie Mm-hmm. Mrs. Walker is played by Academy Award nominee Anne Margaret. Okay. In in quite possibly the most unhinged performance I've ever seen in my life. Where are the memes? We need uh-huh. to create the memes because it's an incredible performance. Like yeah. she is so visceral, and and it gets the movie gets really ugly in terms of her being like really attracted to all of the wrong things in terms of fame, in terms of uh, money. And and also just kind of getting trashier and uglier. What reminded me is this song that you're talking about when they're saying, uh, do you think it's all right? And she's just putting on more and more makeup until she looks like this garish mess before she goes out. And just the idea of them looking in the mirror and not really seeing what they're doing to themselves, yeah. like their own relationship to the mirror while Tommy has had his relationship and 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 in many ways they can't they can't see or feel or hear anything either. Yeah, yeah. And why is that? Yeah, absolutely. Um so I love all of the those little connective tissues in here. Yeah. Um so the first act ends with Pinball Wizard, this mm-hmm. you know, very famous song in which he's become a celebrity. Uh his his condition has somehow given birth to this fame. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's the end of the first act. By the way, this entire show, some of the coolest guitar riffs and hooks you've ever Amazing. heard. Amazing. Amazing right? guitar. Yeah. Oh, it gives me the vibes for yep. sure. Absolutely. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hey listeners, have you tried Factor yet? Remember Factor Meals? They were supposed to send me a box to try out, but they don't ship to Hawaii, so now I'm stuck with my Taco Bell. And now it's up to you. It's up to you to try it and let me know how it is, because it's May. And we can't eat like it's the holidays anymore. We're trying to get our summer bodies together. And Factor's fresh, never-frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great-tasting food. You can choose from six menu preferences to help you manage calories, maximize protein intake, avoid meat, whatever you want, it's here. Head to factormeals.com slash musicaltheater50, that's musical theater with an E-R, and use code musicaltheater50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code musicaltheater50 at factormeals.com slash musicaltheater50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. All right, act two. Now we're in 1960. Yeah, so mm-hmm. some time has passed, but nothing has really changed. Yeah, he's yeah. still the celebrity. But because he's a celebrity, a doctor has come into the conversation with the parents. Mm-hmm. And... The doctor is saying, look, I-, I think there might be a cure for this. Mm-hmm. And it seems like, kind of like the first legit doctor. I don't know. What do you think? I think, I don't know. I know, I didn't actually see him as a 
any more legit than the previous ones. Oh, but cool. Good. I think it's I think it's just showing that the parents are haven't given up. Like okay. he, you know, at this point now Tommy is 20. He's he's technically an adult, but the mm. parents haven't given up on him, you mm. know, that they're they're still looking for a cure. They're still looking for a solution. So, um and maybe this guy is more legit than the ones as a child. You know, um, you're maybe not, but you're right, because like the second verse that he has is all about like him with his partner. Yeah. We could get famous if we yeah. work on this kid. They yeah. are very much self-serving. Yeah. I think everybody around him is very self-serving. So Yeah, that's true. It's true. Yeah. Tommy kind of brings out the toxicity in, in everybody. Yeah. Not any of his fault, but no. yeah. But it just reveals everyone to be opportunists and uh yeah. And not really having his best interest in mind. Yeah, um, I mean, even the, his cousin Kevin, who was a school bully and tortured him, as soon as he became famous, he's like, "Oh, my best bud, my cousin." Right. You know, I'm so <laughs> grateful that I had the opportunity to introduce him to pinball. Yeah, aren't I great? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, um, I will say that maybe one of the reasons I think that this is a legit doctor is because on the original cast album, it is sung by Norm Lewis. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> who will make anything sound gorgeous. So, yeah. <laughs> in in fact, let's talk about this ensemble. This Broadway ensemble was stacked with some of the most incredible talent that the 90s gave to musical <laughs> theater. You had Norm Lewis, you had Michael McElroy, who was <laughs> the uh, Acid Queen's pimp in a way, Sherry Renee Scott, who will be coming up later, and Sally Simpson, and Alice Ripley. <laughs> who not since Laurie Beachman on the original cast album of Annie have you been able, able to pick out a belter in the ensemble as well as you can with Alice Ripley on that Christmas Day track. Yeah. Glorious. Yeah. And and here when Norm Lewis and Alice Ripley have a little duet, I mean, it's like literally eight bars and I could listen to it all day. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I, I I like that take, Cricket. Thank you. Yeah. That this is really showing us that the parents haven't given up. Yeah. But then they get home and kind of realize that in focusing so much on Tommy, but not really on Tommy, but the situation surrounding Tommy. How about that? Yeah. By focusing on the situation surrounding Tommy, their relationship has really suffered. Mm -hmm. And so they sing this song that's kind of a question mark for me, and I want to get your uh, take on it. It's called I Believe My Own Eyes. Definitely probably the most traditional-sounding musical theater song, quote-unquote, <laughs> in the yep. show. And they wrote it. He did write it specifically for the stage version. What do you think this song is about? Um, I mean, I think it's, I think it's them acknowledging that, like, this isn't, this isn't the life they had planned, and this isn't, you know... Like, how long do we keep fighting? How long mm -hmm. do we keep, mm -hmm. you know, revolving our life around him, um, you know, and trying to to fix him? Yes. So, yes, yeah. absolutely. Thank you for putting it in, into that context. Because there, there's this beautiful lyric about, I don't think you've seen the best of me. Yeah. Right? Which has so much accountability to it. I think that's why I really yeah. like that lyric. But then at the same time, it's almost like they're saying enough is enough. Like we yeah. can't just sacrifice our lives, even though they, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I, even though they patience, haven't really been yeah. helping that much, but. But I think they're trying. I mean, but they're they, trying. You're right. They took You're him right. to a lot of doctors as a kid. They tried the acid queen. They tried. This, I mean, they know, tried like a lot of things. Ten years later, they've. They've found another doctor. They're still trying. I do think they're trying. I think, um, I mean, they mention a psychiatrist too, you know, so the, mm -hmm. I, I do think the parents are trying, but they aren't acknowledging the fact that it came from the initial trauma right. that they, you know. They, they can't speak about. Yeah. And the song does also act as a, as a nice bridge from <sighs> doctors, doctors, doctors mm -hmm. to then Mrs. Walker losing it. She yeah. loses yeah. her patience. Yeah. And so Mrs. Walker sings Smash the Mirror, mm -hmm. where she's trying to reach him by yelling at him. I mean, they've tried kind of everything except for 
you know, beating it out of him. <laughs> and this is this is pretty close. She says, like, I think when you're staring at yourself in the mirror, I think you can see you, but you yeah. can't see me. And that makes me furious. And yeah. so she smashes the mirror. Yeah. And now with that mirror in pieces, the one that has caused all of this uh, problem in the first place, it breaks Tommy out of his coma. Yep. And wakes him uh, up. Yeah, thank you. That's a better way of putting it. Wakes him up and he sings, I'm free. Yes. So you can imagine if this community was excited about him playing pinball. <laughs> <laughs> People lose their minds when they hear that he's been cured. Yeah. And this is where I thought, okay, well, then he becomes a rock star and then this becomes a cautionary tale of being a rock star. But honestly, and this is more so in the movie. Tommy becomes kind of like a cult leader. Yes. Yeah? Yeah. He becomes a, like a spiritual guru. Yep. And people think that he has all of the answers. And, and there are some interesting ties to these types of gurus who, or I guess spiritual leaders in general, who will go extended periods of time without talking or mm -hmm. extended times without eating, you know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then the wisdom that they gain from those experiences people then flock to to try and pull out of them yeah help me to be like you well and i think what's also interesting is that these toxic people are still revolving around him mm. and still looking for ways to to take advantage of him and take advantage of his this new fame now from being cured you know we mm. see uncle Oof. ernie we see cousin kevin still revolving around him still trying to take advantage of him yeah, you Uncle know. Ernie, by the way, has decided to create like a camp. A camp, a children's camp. I mean, <laughs> wow, yeah. Yeah. the aud the audacity. But yeah. but yeah, you're exactly right. It's it's a uh, new scene, same story. Yeah. And I guess that uh, I, I guess if once again, if we zoom out, fame doesn't change anything. It just changes the circumstances in which this kind of uh, dysfunction escalates or turns around yeah yeah he's got his followers uh one of them is a young adolescent named sally simpson mm -hmm. feels like middle class very typical girl right who's become yeah. obsessed with tommy and she sneaks out of the house to go to one of the big his big meetings yeah and she's there on the front row she's got her hair all done up right and tommy comes out lights the place on fire so to speak and everyone goes crazy. And she gets injured in kind of like a, a mosh pit type situation, right? Yeah. It gets trampled, basically. Yeah. yeah. And in the same way that like smashing the mirror wakes Tommy up from his first state, Sally and what happens to her wakes him up from his second state. Yeah. And is like, uh, maybe this has gotten out of control. Yeah. And maybe I need to get back to basics. I'm going to go home figure out my stuff with my family. Mm -hmm. But he invites everybody <laughs> along with him. <laughs> yeah. But you can come with me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So uh, literally the the entire, you know, Colt family comes to his home and he, he says welcome and and they are, you know, asking him over and over again, tell us your secret. Help us be like you. Now here's another big change. It, originally what Tommy told everybody was uh, like, you need to be deaf and blind for 10 years in order to gain what I have gained. And everyone was like, yeah, that's not going to happen. And <laughs> yes, what, but no. <laughs> yeah, exactly. What's interesting is what they did in the musical is that Tommy says, you don't need to be like me. Yeah. I've been trying to be like you. Yeah. So, maybe you should just be yourselves and live your lives. Yeah. And what's really funny is that they have the exact same response as though he had said, you need to be deaf and blind. <laughs> They're like, what? That is not the answer we wanted. Yeah. So profound. Yeah. Have you ever I mean, received like a, a piece of like spiritual information and, and, and you were, uh, obviously I'm speaking from experience here, um, <laughs> and you were almost angry because that was not the answer you wanted? 
I mean, I've certainly received a lot of advice that I decided I was going to do the exact opposite. I'm a very stubborn person. You you react. I relate to that. (laughs) So I certainly relate to the, you know. Yeah. I'm going to do the exact opposite of what you tell me to do because I don't want to do that. Um, I certainly relate to that. But um, but the, I, think, I mean, same thing, because I think sometimes our, you know, our spiritual advice comes from people that are placed in our path to, to give us that advice. And yeah. Well, and I think the people following Tommy wanted a miracle. They wanted yes. a miracle cure. They wanted something that would instantly make their lives better. Right. And, you know, the, the first answer of, 10 years of being silent and isolated is hard work. They don't want to do that. And, and then the second answer to say, what are you talking about? Your life is the good life. Your life is what I'm striving for. Again, that's not the answer. Like they, they want a miracle cure. They want to be able to push a button or check a box and say, my life is better now, Mm -hmm. or my life has meaning now. Or I'm a good person now and they want it to be simple and they want it to be easy. And the answer that Tommy gives them is it's not easy. It's right. not simple. We're all, like you, we're all you have doing to, the work. Yeah, you have to look into yourself. You have to find yourself. Um, and they didn't like that answer. No, you know? no. It makes me also think of our current society where, you know, privilege has become like the, a, a trigger word. Or, or at least a yeah. trendy word to to bring up, and I think it can be triggering for a lot of people because to be told you have privilege when you feel like your life sucks. Yeah, you know <laughs> what I mean. Is is kind of along this line. Yeah, where Tommy so. is saying your your life is great, and you're like, well, then why do I feel so shitty? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> that's really confronting. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. yeah. I don't have any answers for it. <laughs> no, but I, you know, neither did Tommy. Right. So, right. You know. Other, other than to say, see it, feel it, recognize it. Yeah. You know, there, there is this little musical phrase that appears throughout the show: "See me, feel me, mm-hmm. heal, touch me, heal me." Yeah. Um, it's just this inner voice of the little Tommy always saying, "The answer's right here." I have this need to be validated, to be seen, to be mm-hmm. felt, to acno- be acknowledged. Yeah. And I think, you know what, sometimes we do feel shitty in our lives and hopeless. And it's Im- super important to recognize that and to recognize it as a feeling. Yeah. Right. As, yeah. as, and that's all it is. Yeah. Because if we can, then we aren't trapped in a mirror not being able to move on from it yeah it's kind of profound cricket (laughs) yeah i think the whole show is really talk it's a lot about self-reflection you know like being able to look at yourself and and see who's inside of you and see who you want to be see your future self or your past self and yeah and so that last song uh which is called listening to you Uh which is kind of like the let the sunshine in moment (laughs) with everybody in the cast singing who do you think that's direct? I, I feel like there are so many answers here, but who do you feel like that's directed to? Listening to you, who is you? I think. I mean, I think it's himself. Like, I think it's. I think it's a mirror moment. I, yeah. I agree. And to have everybody in the cast be singing it to themselves, while yeah. also singing it to an audience. Yeah. I mean, that's some cool theater. Yep. Did you know that they're bringing it back? I did not. It was slated for a Broadway return in 2021. That didn't happen. (laughs) And so I think it's going to be at the Goodman Theater in Chicago first. And then making a return to to Broadway. Des McEnough is directing it again. I don't know if he's just like restaging what they did. But it's it's an interesting piece to look at through the framework of where we are right now. Absolutely. And I hope that it rings a little differently yeah. because of that. Yeah. You know? I mean, I think we as a society have all experienced more isolation, mm-hmm. you know, in the past couple of years than we might normally. 
And so I think, especially for the music theater community, because we're never really alone. We're always in rooms with people. Surrounded by too many, actually rooms that are probably way too small. (laughs) (laughs) Way too many people. Exactly. (laughs) But, but, you know, and, and so like having a year of isolation and for many people, it was a year of self-reflection and a year of like, okay, everything's different now. How am I going to change my life? How's my life going to, how am I going to come out of this differently? You know? Right. Exactly. So I, I can imagine it, it will resonate very differently now. I hope so. I hope yeah. so. I'm excited for it. Thank you, Cricket, for doing this with me. Is there anything you, you want to say that we didn't get to talk about, about the show? I don't think so. I mean, it's really the, just the, the musical motifs and the way they, come back and repeat and change throughout the show is really beautiful that you, you have this, um, you know, you hear a phrase and it, you're like, Oh, I know that phrase. It becomes familiar to you, but it's Mm. still changing and developing. And I think that's really beautiful to, to see. And and most of it's in the guitar. Most of it's the, you know, the beautiful way the guitar just threads through the whole show. Um, Ooh, this is cool. I hadn't thought about this, but that is opera. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's more opera than musical theater. But and when I think about the score to Tommy, it is it almost is in these like eight bar sections that just kind of reappear every once in a while and craft this greater score. It's not it's not really about songs, you know, uh, traditionally as we know it. Yeah. So he really did write a rock opera. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It was really it's just beautiful. The way it all comes together. I, you know, it, uh, this morning I sat and listened to the whole, you know, the Broadway cast album all the way through, right. which is the first time I've listened to it all the way through since opening night. <laughs> oh, wow. It. Yeah. You know, so remembering those themes and remembering those moments and, and that, that moment of kind of familiarity that it's like, oh, I, I remember this emotion. I remember this moment and the way that the music brought back visuals from my production that like suddenly I had this vivid memory of the entrance of our acid queen, you know, like I saw yes. it again and it was like it, the music brought that all back for me. You know, I didn't <sighs> have to go look for pictures, you know, I, you know, in the, the moment of pinball wizard and what that looked like on stage for me, the music brought it all back, which was kind of amazing. Uh-huh. So. There are certain shows where if I'm on a road trip, I will put it on because of that exact reason. You can yeah. listen to it and you can see the whole thing in your mind. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Mm, magic. So. As always, if you have recommendations for shows you'd like us to cover on a musical theater podcast, you can always email me at amusicalpodcast at gmail.com. Don't forget to follow us on social media on Twitter and Instagram at a musical podcast. We're also on TikTok. We've got Patreon exclamation point, which is perfect for subscribers who want to not only support the show, but gain bonus content. It's only a dollar a month and you get a really cool episode every month. We also have a T Public store and don't forget to send in your artwork to be featured on that gallery. More than anything, please share the show with your friends. Because I love getting to hear and know all of our listeners from all around the world. It's a really beautiful podcast community that I'm super grateful for. Hey, Miss Cricket. Hey. How do we follow you? Anything you want to plug that you want to talk about? Uh, I have a fantastic production of Titanic the Musical running at (gasps) Milwaukee Rep. Um, What? So if any of you are in the Midwest, in the Milwaukee, Chicago area, you should pop up and see that production an incredible cast of 30 on stage in a full orchestra. And uh, the end of May, I will be back at East West Players doing a brand new musical called Interstate. So that is definitely worth checking out if you're in the Los Angeles area. Oh my gosh, those both sound fantastic. Congratulations. I mean, talk about another operatic score, that Mara (laughs) Yeston score. Yeah. Yeah, anyway. (laughs) um, And how cool that you're going to be back at East West. Yep. Thank you again for doing this. What a pleasure. Uh, Thank you for also enlightening, well, just for all of your work, because I know that, I mean, you're not on stage getting applause every night, but you, I I hope that when people are applauding, you take it in because great sound, like I said, makes or breaks my theater experience. My favorite reviews ever for a show are reviews that say, you know, that 
that singer filled the room with her voice or Ooh, that that actor yes. soared above the orchestra because I, I know that I helped them soar above that orchestra and I did it in a way that that made it feel like it was coming from the actor. So for me, the best reviews are the ones that don't mention me and just talk yes. about how incredible the band and cast is. So you're like, yeah. you're welcome. <laughs> that's that's so sweet. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. Everybody, thank you for listening. And uh, you know what? You've been listening to me. I'm going to listen to you. Oh my gosh, that's terrible. That's so <laughs> cheesy. But we're keeping it. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the RISE Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.